The Quintessential Podcast is proud to announce that we have a new presenting sponsor, Axia Time. Axia Time is a really cool watch company focused on ultra-custom watches to commemorate life's greatest accomplishments. Watches whose styling and quality match the significance of the accomplishments they represent. Axia Time is also partnered with all the leading lacrosse organizations to create all-American timepieces for high school boys and girls and college men and women. Axia Time even creates timepieces for elite awards like the Tuareton and Naismith. If you're interested in a high-quality, Swiss-made timepiece to commemorate a great accomplishment, you need to check out their designs at axiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. If you're celebrating a team achievement like a state championship, national championship, or even world championship, You have to check out the timepieces they created for teams like Jesuit Dallas, the University of Maryland, and even the USA U21 World Champions. Quintessential Podcast welcomes you to the holiday season. It's the uh, end of December, and we bring in Duke assistant coach Ronnie Caputo. 17 years at Duke, hard to believe. Uh, Started off in the business in the early 2000s back at Hofstra as a volunteer. Coach, uh, first of all, happy holidays. Great to see you. Uh, and, and welcome in. What's new? Pleasure to be with you guys. Um, you know, it's the calm before the storm, right? I mean, it's, it's the holidays and uh, all the guys go home and then, you know, you gear up come that second week of January. So exciting times for me, uh, family coming home. Uh, I have some older, uh, my older children. Uh, my daughter works in Charlotte. She's 25. And my older son, Owen, is in England uh, wow. getting international business degree. So haven't seen him since September. So actually we'll pick him up after this podcast. So that's exciting. So let, let, let's start with that. Your wife, Randy, uh, you have four kids, Samantha, Owen, Jake, Owen and Jake obviously played at Duke. A lot of people are familiar with them. I believe Owen's, uh, as you said, in England, Jake's got his last year this year has been taking it. So he'll yes, be still Jake on the is, team. Jake and is then, in the Fuqua school of business now. And then Jamie. So they grew up, uh, they started on Long Island and end up in the Carolinas. Is that the way that worked? Yes. They went to elementary school in Farmingdale, uh, New York, where uh, my wife uh, was born and raised. And uh, then we moved to Carolina and we live in Apex, North Carolina now. Your wife, Randy, uh, her brother, Ronnie Heller, former uh, great uh, football player and wrestler at Farmingdale. I remember when I was a kid watching him win the uh, Section 8 Wrestling Championship and then watching him smash Oceanside High School, my dad's team. Uh, you, you know, he and Paul Langford were, were, were true studs and, and future NFL players. Yeah, that had to be interesting, uh, watching him play in the NFL with his sister. It, what Randy is the youngest of uh, six children, and uh, she actually has three brothers, and they were all um, uh, star athletes. Uh, her oldest brother, Bobby, uh, played quarterback for Brown as well as wrestled. Uh, and Ronnie, you know, is the most um, – celebrated he won the thorpe award uh, went to penn state and played 12 or 13 years in the nfl and then her younger youngest brother michael uh also went to penn state uh, played football was uh wrestled scotty graham if you remember scotty yeah state wrestling championship uh two years i think two years in a row or the not the state but the county final michael yeah, being section finals. and uh that was a, a great battle like uh one of those epic if you're from that area you remember it yeah, I was with I was with Scotty's a running backs coach now at Arizona, uh, the Wildcats with with the big you know great year they've had with their head coach Jed Fish, and I ran into Scott 
uh, three weeks ago, the la- I think the last week of the season when they beat Arizona State. Uh, he was – Scotty Graham was one of Long Island's greatest athletes ever. I mean, he was he played at Ohio State in the Minnesota Vikings. He was a great face-off man and midfielder for Long Beach. And then he was, uh, I think, a two-time section champ uh, on uh, as a heavyweight wrestler. Yeah. Scotty, I actually have a picture uh, of one of my uh, – probably the best high school lacrosse player I played with, uh, Freddie Amaya, if you remember Freddie. Yeah. Freddie facing off against Scotty in uh, – uh, the last game of uh, of my senior year, actually, we lost to Long Beach, and Scott, you know, Scotty was so much bigger than Freddie, <laughs> you know. So the face off had a, uh, a, you know, we we kept that photo. It had a little bit of a Mutton Jeff look to it, and we uh, we uh, break Freddie's uh, chops a little bit about that once in a while. Hey, so how and why did you become uh, a coach uh, at Syosset High School when this all started? Well, um. At, at you know when I when I finished college and I came home I was trying to find um find my way and uh a lot of a lot of folks in Hicksville where where I um, lived were worked for the town of Oyster Bay and uh, you know I was I I loved lacrosse I didn't start playing until I was in ninth grade uh, Chuck Arnone and Bill Billy Dunn were the uh you know the catalyst to me loving lacrosse. So um, they got me into it. Uh, I don't know if you remember Mike McGee. Mike McGee uh, went to Hofstra. Hofstra was a couple of years older. He he was probably the best player in our town at the time. And he was a really good person. And everybody uh, kind of followed uh, him along. So we kind of fell in love with the game. Um, played in college, played in Division Three. went to University of Scranton, loved it there. Greatest, great teammates, great friends still to this day. Um, but I was went back to Hicksville High School where I – where uh, I went and, you know, volunteered there for a year. And Coach Ornone said, hey, there's an opening over at Syosset. Uh, I don't know if you remember John Pappas. John Pappas yeah. was a long time. Uh, John Pappas was the athletic director at um, Syosset. And I had known uh, Mr. Pappas from the Long Island Summer League, which, you know, was at Caniac Park, which is in Hicksville. And um, he gave me an interview. And uh, Jeff Capri at the time was the head coach. And so I, you know, I went over to Syosset and worked there for a few years and, and then the Empire State games, that's probably where I got to know Coach Donowski a little bit more. Uh, Matt was on the Empire State team, and I coached that team with uh, Joe Baccarella. I don't know if you know Joe very well, but uh, Joe Baccarella and myself um, coached that team. And that's how I got to know Matt and therefore got to know Coach a little bit more. I mean, we lived in the same town. We would see each other because Coach and Matt lived in Farmingdale and I lived in Farmingdale. So um, a position at uh, Hofstra as a volunteer opened up, and then the following year a position as a back then there was there weren't two full time assistants there was only one full time assistant and a part time assistant, and I became the part time assistant with Joe Amplo and Coach D. Wow, that's fascinating. You know, you you are regarded in coaching circles as one of the premier assistant coaches in the country. You you keep a low profile. Uh, but I want to ask you what, what, what that relationship's like with, with Coach Danowski, who you've now been with for 20 or so years, right? This may be the 20th year, I, I think, or, or 21st year. What, what's what's uh, been critical to that head coach-assistant relationship and dynamic? Well, I, I think it starts with my enormous respect for him as a man. You know, like, uh, he's, along with my father, he's probably the greatest man I've ever met. John is... John is a class act. Um, he treats everybody great. 
whether it's the people in this building, um, the people on campus, everywhere he goes. Um, he's, you know, he's a class act and he's humble, you know, uh, so he, and he preaches humility and um, he's super smart. Like, you know, one of the things that you you get when you work for someone like John, you get to learn something every day. Still at this age, you know, 20 years later, it's always something. Um, but, you know, in terms of the, the longevity of it, we we're we're close in a in a in a manner that would probably be like a family manner. You know, like I, I wouldn't call us like the greatest friends where we play golf together and all the time. We are, we are like linked almost like family. Like, uh, you know, we, we spend time together here in the office. We have lunch, stuff like that. Um, and we work really closely together. I, I think I kind of know what he wants from uh, the, a day, maybe in practice, I can get a feel for wh where he's going because you've been with him for a while. But, uh, you know, to answer your question, I think it all starts with a, a level of respect that, I've only had for maybe one or two other people in my life. I think this is your 17th year at Duke. You guys have won three national championships. 11 times you played championship weekend. Uh, it built, uh, you know, one, one of the finer programs uh, in the history of the sport, really, when you, when you think about it. That, that, I want to go back to that dynamic because I know you have strong beliefs, uh, whether you were coaching the offense or whether you're coaching the defense. And, and I was an assistant coach at the high school level for Bob Shriver at BL for 12 years. And like 80% of the time, I felt we were on the same page. Then 10% of the time, he wanted to go this way and I wanted to go this way. You know, how do you, I, I guess it just comes down to communication. Like, coach, I think our defense needs this. And it's it's kind of a discussion. How do you handle those, those moments when it comes to strategy, personnel, uh, direction of, of the program? Well, when when it when it comes to strategy, and he wants to, you know, change something that I just, I honestly just trust it, and I know there's a why. And if if it's in game, and he doesn't have time to tell me the why, I'll just do it. And then between quarters, I'll ask like, "What are you seeing?" But there's no, um, you know, like, "Hey, uh, I don't get that." It, there's none of that. Um, yeah. You know, when it comes to personnel quite frankly, coach D wants to play all the guys, <laughs> you know, like he'll sit, you know, he sees, he sees uh, pieces of greatness in all of them in moments. And what makes him so great to play for, I think is that every guy in practice, he, he sees the positive of them. You know, he'll say, you know, you see him raise up the field. I think we can work with that. You know, is there a spot? Can you find a spot for him on the wing? Can you, you know, that part of it, I think uh, Quinn is old school that you'll remember like, you know, he's still not afraid to take a pole and give him a short stick, you know, like, whereas now everybody gets recruited. Well, you recruited other short stick team. He doesn't see it that way. He sees like, if you're a player, you're a player and see if we can find a spot for him. Um, he, he does trust his assistants. So I will tell you that. So when he does come over or come in the huddle and he, he doesn't like something, I, I think that would have taken a lot. So whatever he says, you know, we'll just go with it and then we'll talk about it at the break. The relationships that you can have as an assistant coach with your players is is uh, maybe a little deeper than the, the head coaches typically have. I, I know from my experience, you know, guys like Brian Holman and uh, John Hawes, Doc Matthews, Jerry Pfeiffer and, and Larry Quinn were essential 
on the lacrosse field, but probably more so uh, off the lacrosse field, just with conversations that we're having daily before warmups, before practice, after practice, you know, that, that player assistant coach relationship, what, what is critical? What don't, don't people maybe on the outside realize about the impact that you as an assistant coach can have on, on, on your players? Well, I think it starts with you first. You have to, you have to be the first investor, right? So um, one of the things I, I like to do um, every day, I will text six kids and write a note to three. So I, I figured by the course of the week, the team is kind of big right now. So maybe next year when we're down to that 40 range, it'll be a little bit less, but I'll watch practice after practice and I'll text five or six kids, something, uh, and I'll put a, a couple of notes in the lockers of three kids. And I believe that creates what I like to call emotional equity. Um, so you're investing in them and then they'll, they'll trust you a little bit when you, when you get in them, you know, like, I don't think you can be, you know, like when you and I went to high school in the eighties, we got a face mask grabbed. We yeah. got, you know, things thrown at us. <laughs> Told to run around the field for the remainder of practice. Yeah. 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 Just, just start running and I'll tell you when to stop and they forget about you. You know, like that is no longer the, the way it is. And um, I, I do think you can challenge kids still. I, I do, but they need to know where it's coming from. So I believe you got to be the first investor. And I, I do think, you know, you have to speak in their language to, to, to get, to get their love. That's their love language, whether it's, it's texting or wherever, whatever their language is, you have to speak in their language to get to their heart. You speak in your language, you'll only get their head and, and you can only go so far with the head. Now, you, you mentioned that story about being put on the track as I was when I was a senior. I badmouthed uh, Mike Morrissey. Limbrick was scrimmaging Manhasset. Mike Morrissey was this uh, one class below. We thought we were hot shots. A preseason, pre and, and I was like experimenting with trash talk. And so I went after Morrissey. <laughs> I didn't know that Larry Glenn's, my head coach and father figure in my life, Limbrick coach, was best friends with Sean Morrissey. So Sean calls Larry up on Sunday and tells him, this little goalie of yours, he's got a big mouth. So I show up for practice on Monday and Larry puts me on the track for the whole practice. I, I think I ran like 18 miles uh, in, in, in two, two and a half hour practice. So, <laughs> But those notes, coach, I, I want to go back to those notes. Is uh, strictly positives, uh, negatives? Uh, are they saying, hey, I love the way you hustled on or or – Hey, double check with me about the backside slide. Are they tactical? Are they emotional? Like what, what, what are you targeting there with those notes? Um, a moment that maybe we shared in practice, you know, where I maybe said something and like some clarity. I mean, I'll give you an example. I, I ran into Rob Rotans. You remember Rob Rotans? I ran into Rob Rotans uh, like four years ago and he pulled out a, out of his wallet a note that I sent to him, that, that I wrote to him when he was in. And that's kind of what, reignited me to do it to be honest with you um i got away from it a little bit so now i'm doing it a little bit more um and it's i wrote i think i wrote something like you you know you've been blessed with a lot of gifts from god you know stick to the details and you'll be an all-american you know uh things like that um you know i, I think it, a lot most of the time is positive sometimes it's sandwiched right you know like you might have a positive, and then you throw in something that that was a real teaching experience. That maybe something happened in practice where you jumped them, um, and you say, "This is why you know you're going to 
you're going to be in a game on, you know, and I believe in you and thing, you know, things like that. Um, all, all no fluff, but you know, all real stuff, but, uh, just a remind, just a reminder that you're in their corner, you know, like they all can't play, but they can all be a, a big part of it. If they, if they feel the belief, you know? So making that connection. Yeah. Because you never know when that, that time is going to come where you're going to have to, you know, push that relationship to get, to find the buttons to make this kid as good as you possibly can get. And, you know, everybody talks about the the players in their careers that were great and, you know, that just had this fire. But what, what about the ones that needed it lit? You know, and those guys are the, are, you know, Andrew McAdory has a fire burning inside of him that he's a lion and he's going to roll that way. You know, he, I don't want to say he doesn't need uh, encouragement. He does. They all do. But there's others that could reach his level of intensity if, if they believe that you believed. So, I mean, you got to get as many guys as you can above, above the line. Duke seems to do a slow build each year, uh, fundamental based team, team chemistry as like part of it. Uh, and and, and that, that seems to just build towards May. Uh what 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 do you find to be most essential in in the way coach and you and the staff and the players try to build team chemistry, team identity, uh, team building? Um. Well, coach, coach starts every season off. Uh, well, every semester really now uh, with what he calls a retreat, where we um we will go into. I mean, we don't go away into the woods or anything like that, but you know, we'll go into uh you know, we'll spend the day in, in one of the hotels on campus and breakout rooms. Um, he'll give them a book to read. Courage is calling happened to be the book this year. Uh, and, you know, we'll break down chapters of that book and, and, you know, how does that relate to our team? Uh, he'll send them, you know, uh, videos, Ted talks, uh, Simon Sinek is, is a big favorite of coach Janowski's. Um, and just to get them humility is, is, is coach Janowski's, favorite um characteristic you know and but he also thinks you can be humble and you can let someone know who you are and what you are and that balance between confidence and humility is his constant preach to the team um in terms of player development i, I think coaches he's a teacher right like he's he's not coach first he's teacher first i mean we will do if we're going to do two-on-twos for example you know, he will, it'll be skeleton two-on-twos, then it'll be demonstration two-on-twos, and then it'll be live two-on-twos. So practice is slower, you know, eight minutes of this, eight, instead of just going, we're out there, we're playing two-on-two, show us what you got. You know, like, so he, you know, he's constantly teaching. Um, and in terms, like, in terms of the slow burn, I, I think coach is not, like, he believes that the best, experiences are in-game experiences so you know playing in the game failing in the game seeing that on film versus a practice you know we, we've taken more uh like we're scrimmaging this year again like last year we scrimmaged the Terps uh this year we're scrimmaging Maryland Marquette and VMI you know now that the contests are limp you know not as limited you know uh back then you're a couple of years ago, you were allowed 17 contests for the entire year. So the fall counted, everything counted. So now uh, we're, you know, we're not, we're not as uh, 
afraid to scrimmage. But coach, like he wanted every contest to be real. He thinks when you put the uniforms on, it's different. Kids see scrimmages as scrimmages. Uh, he thinks when you put the uniform on and those mistakes become real, they become more significant. And, you know, if you're not winning games in um, April and late March, it's because you didn't do it right in February. So um, he just doesn't want to go to, he doesn't want to go to, uh, you know, the 200 level until everybody has the 100 level. I want to ask you a question because you've been a high ranking assistant coach now, as I said, for 20 years, but you've also had uh, children of your own who've gone through it. Like what, what is the role of the parent here? What's the role of the parent for the high school athlete, the club athlete and, and, and the college athlete? Well, I think, I think the first thing is to understand you don't get recruited. You, you, you play with passion and enthusiasm and you, you go out and play that in that manner and people will notice it and you can't make people see what they don't see. So being an advocate for your child is really important, but overly promoting doesn't help. It, it doesn't help the kid at all. Like telling, you know, like, getting mad at a high school coach or a club coach for not getting your kid recruited, I just think is, is, is really not the the way to go. Like they, they, they will enjoy wherever they're at. As long as they feel wanted, they feel welcomed. They, they will find the right spot. I mean, listen, I went to the university of Scranton. I did not play at Hopkins or Maryland or any of those places. And those guys that I played with are the best men in my wedding. They are, the, uh, you know, the stepfathers to my children, it's not stepfathers, the godfathers to my children, excuse me. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. I mean, we didn't play on TV, but we played, you know, there was refs and everything, <laughs> you know, like, I, I just think this idea that um, you're going to play this sport because of a scholarship or something like that. That's not the reason to play. You play because you love it. And, you know, the, the, the rest will take care of itself, but trying to push that narrative is never a good thing, I don't think. What do you think is the biggest misconception uh, from uh, high school and club level players about the college game that is not really re reality? I often feel that that students right now enter college thinking it's one thing, and then the reality it's it's another. Is is, is that accurate? Like I don't, I I just don't believe they understand the commitment that 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 exists right now in terms of weight room. Film I think some study, practice I think some, time. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I think it's a YouTube culture, right? Like they spend their time watching videos and it's only the highlights and everything's a highlight video, right? So, you know, the now there's more Instagram stuff of guys in the weight room so they can see a little bit of that. Um, but I think that they believe that everybody gets a, a full scholarship and plays every minute of every game. It just doesn't work that way. I mean, there's guys that come in uh, as freshmen uh, like you like you did and got to play and played their whole career. And there's guys that were really, really good. And their role, you know, as a freshman, sophomore, maybe wasn't what they had hoped, but they're still good teammates. And then they earn their way on. I mean, I do believe that everything is earned. I mean, I don't think that guys – the kids understand that, you know, the recruiting is recruiting, right? And then when you're there, you're there. And uh, recruiting is always a, what we believe you can become, but you know, you know what they say about potential potentials, 
you know, another way of saying you haven't done anything yet. So I think they have to, and it's not their fault. It's just, it's just the way the culture is now. Like the, you know, it's a, it's a, like I said, it's a YouTube video. It's a, everybody reads stuff online and nobody puts their worst day online. You know, nobody puts their worst story on Instagram. It's always a good story. <laughs> What's critical for, for that high school athlete and that family? Uh, obviously you're going to evaluate them on the field. You're also probably looking at them off the field, uh, looking for red flags. Like, are they picking you or are you picking them? I think it's both. I, I mean, I, I think, I think the, this, the, the potential student athlete that's worked really hard in the classroom earns themselves uh, the right to choose a little bit more, right? There's more options. Academics do equal options. Um, I think off the field, listen, like the things you were talking about, you, 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 you can't, these kids know enough about social media that if they do something um, disrespectful or uh, that their grandmother wouldn't want to see on there, that's a, that's a real mistake. They've been told by everyone not to do that. Um, now, listen, do I do I think it's tougher to grow up now than when, yeah. when did I did? Yeah, sure it is. Unforgiving, very it unforgiving. Is. I mean, you know, one mistake and they want to, you know, people want to, you know, uh, ruin any chances you have for success. I mean, that you know, we both know a lot of success stories, uh, both currently in lacrosse and, you know, uh, in, in our past that it, goodness, if they, if people would have just known some of the things that would, you know, they never would have had an opportunity to be who they, who they became. So, but they know that, right. And we knew, and we knew what we knew then, and they know that stuff. So yes, like socially admissions do no longer. And I don't think, you know, this isn't just Duke, but I don't think admissions offices are as, you know, they have a lot of options. So their 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 tolerance for, uh, you know, really poor behavior. I'm not talking about little mistakes, yeah. but like poor behavior just is not there. Interesting. Uh, I want to ask you a question. Are you still in the restaurant business? Or I am. Um, with I don't know if you, I think he's your year. I, I don't know if I ever told you who my partner was. Uh, do you remember playing against Richie Moore from? Uh, Levittown Division, a midi midfielder, 1986 grad. From Division? Yeah, Levittown Division, yeah. Uh, he actually wrestled in, in football, wrestling, and lacrosse. His name is Richie Moore. Uh, he played for Coach Amon on the, those division teams. Uh, he's my partner. He's been my partner for about hmm, 10 years, I think. How do you manage that? He manages it. I show up once a, week, uh, once a month and do P&L statements and, uh, you know, I do a lot of the uh, hiring and firing because he'd rather not. <laughs> that's a that's a tough business. I, I dated uh, back in my twenties. I dated uh, an owner of a, a Baltimore based uh, restaurant. It's uh, fun, I, interesting. I, always, always things popping up. Like, wow, where'd that come from? The the hardest part of the restaurant business, and I don't know if I would go into it again, is that you know it. The people who care the most about it are typically in the kitchen. You know, the restaurants and the uh, food industry that do the best have terrific cooks and chefs and the owners are out front dealing with the people. When the owners uh, are in the back doing the cooking and the recipe stuff, that becomes difficult because the people out front are kind of working for themselves, right? Like that's the restaurant industry, bartenders and waiters and waitresses, they, they, they work for themselves. So their interests aren't always aligned with your interests as an owner. So the, the, the ones that do the best have the, 
you know, maybe the mom is the hostess and uh, the family is involved in the front of it. That that's what I've kind of learned about this business the most. It sounds like a functioning team versus a dysfunctional lacrosse team. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, uh, I want to ask you about a couple guys while we have some time. Henry White was was a player who kind of jumps off the roster at me. It's a thirty year old Army veteran who shows up here at Duke now. I guess he's in graduate school and he's going to be part of the team. What what, what should we what should we know about Henry? Well, I mean. Um, he, like those retreats that I spoke about earlier, he dominates those things. I mean, his, his understanding of, of real leadership versus, you know, um, just uh, talk versus action is, is incredible. Um, he, he understands, you know, he's, listen, he's been in places that these guys have only seen about movies, you know, and um, he's married, you know, he's got child on the way. So he's really like living a life that these guys maybe can envision in their future. But I mean, he is the best to a guy that's had a hard day. He's the first one. Anytime you see Henry White walking off the field with someone, he, that player maybe didn't have his best day. And Henry White is letting him know that tomorrow will be another day. He does this constantly. Um, he's just, he gets it. He gets human nature. He gets uh, he gets his role on this team. You know, he's uh, he he played attack at West Point back in his time, and he's playing uh, he's playing short stick D midi for us. That's and, an incredible incredible luxury for you to have. Can he? Does he fit in with the guys still, or or you know, he's more like an assistant coaching age at thirty. But so he'll he'll be socializing with with the guys and you know off the field and and be part of this thing, part of the family. He goes to the meals. Uh, they had a tailgate for a, a football game once, and you know I think it was uh, it was average until he got there. He showed up at the barbecue and and he kind of taught them how to. This is the right way to do this, you know. Um, and he did all the grilling and he showed some guys how you know. So I you know his experience. Listen, as you know, like, there's no substitute for ex life experience. And um, he brings, and they love him, you know, like, uh, you know, we, we have a, a Christmas party, right? And um, everybody gets a Kris Kringle, but they don't know who their Kris Kringle is. They only know who they have. They don't know who has them. And the gifts, you know, Coach Danowski really promotes guys to like dig into who your, who your uh, Kris Kringle is, get them a gift that's appropriate to their personality. You know, so he got diapers and he got some, you know, he got a, yeah. uh, you know, like a, a little baby rocking chair, you know, like things like that, that the guys really, you, you can tell how much they appreciate what he brings. That's, that's, to the program. that's, that's an incredible story. Uh, you, uh, you, you pulled in a couple of new faces. Just, uh, I just want your initial uh, impressions of Josh Zawada from, from Michigan. Well, Josh, um, he's extremely talented. He's a glider as a runner. Like when he runs, he glides. Um, he's got incredible hands, incredible vision. He was really well coached uh, his last two years at Michigan, I, I believe. Like, he he really understands the two-man game. He played in high school with Dyson Williams. So he has eyes for Dyson. So he has a connection immediately with the feeder goal scorer piece. Um, Josh is, even though he's one of the older guys on our team, he's not like a really big guy. I think the weight room has been really good for him. And I think he's learned a bunch about like 
um, not that not that he didn't work uh, have to work hard um, at Michigan in the weight room, but I think his his uh, his desire, so to speak, to be stronger has has uh, this you know according to him has gotten has moved forward. So he's a talented kid. I mean, you don't score that many points in that league without having a really high degree of talent. Um, in, incorporating him is, is something that Matt is really, uh, well, Brennan was out for the ball. So it was a lot, you know, uh, Brennan had a, a, an injury stemming from the, the world, the world game. So he was out most of the fall. So Josh, you know, got a chance to like really play a lot with, uh, you know, with Dyson, with Mac, um, with Balsamo and those guys. So he's, I mean, he's going to be integral because yeah. he's, he's, he's used to having the ball on a stick in big moments. North Carolina native played at the Hill Academy with, with Dyson, as, as you mentioned, now he kind of comes home. Uh, you mentioned Brent Brennan, not being in the fall. And I, to me, one of the, and we'll finish with this, like wh where are these parts going to fit? Because you have, you have so many great parts, whether it's Andrew McAdory, Dyson Williams, who we saw this summer as a ball carrier for team Canada. Like, I hardly recognized him. His skill set looked so different, and he was so effective. Charlie Balsamo, I forget about the year he had last year. Uh, Aiden Denenza's coming back. Uh, and then you add, you know, Alex Slusher, righty attackman from Princeton to, to the mix. So, so I think, what kind of say do you have? Obviously, Matt coaches the offense. Coach Donowski oversees everything. You're watching it also. But are you more concerned with your defensive parts? Yes. I mean, I don't, you know, listen, does Matt ask? Sure. You know, uh, we, we, we coach together. We coach the offense together uh, when he first came on. Um, but not really. I mean, I, we, we talk about it a little bit, but it's really his, you know, it's his to pick and choose how he wants to put it in the end. I don't think there's a, a whole lot of disagreement I mean, I, I think on a certain day you could, you know, joke around and say, hey, you know, this guy looked pretty good, you know, but at the end of the day, I, you know, I ask his opinion on the defensive half of the field. He asked my opinion, but at the end of the yeah. day, you know, Coach D's got the got the final choice, but for the most part, he he trusts his assistants. He always has. And, and you're owning your area. Just let, last thing defensively, I'm looking at my board from last year. Kenny Brower is back. Keith Boyer is back, correct? Correct. Cole Krause is back. Mm -hmm. Wilson Stevenson has graduated. Love, yes. love Wilson. Tyler Carpenter is back. Henry Bard, I had as a grad student last year. Is he back? No, Henry, Henry Bard, Henry Bard was a freshman last year. Uh, he is a extremely gifted sophomore. Uh, I, I believe will start, uh, that first game that we play. I, I think he's, he's earned a starting spot here in the fall. Um, Carpenter, Prisoli, or the LSN. Prisoli's back. Helm, Helm is Helm is uh, back in the goal, and you bring in Griffin Raykauer from Princeton as well, correct? And the freshman Patrick Jamison. Um, so we uh, and uh, Matt Fadiedis came from Michigan. So we have a, we have a we have six goalies right now, which is the most I think we've ever had. Um, um, starting in the goal, I I, I would say that those um, those three are really fighting it out. Whether it's uh, uh with Rack hour. Uh, he's extremely uh, hardworking, uh, excellent ball stopper. Uh, you know, uh, Helm came back in in really good shape, and and uh, you know has has improved. You know, he's better than he was last year. And the freshman Jamison is he's excellent. He's going he's going to be one of the better goalies we've had in 
in this program. But defensively, I, I would I would say there's names that you mentioned. You're spot on there with uh, you know Bard and Kraus and Boyer and Brower. Um, the freshman Christmas, uh, the LSM. I, I think you I think you might see him a little bit. He's really good. Yeah. In transition. I saw him a couple summers ago. I I think I wrote about him when he was like a rising sophomore. He he to me he jumped off the page. He has a uh, he's has a Steve Mitchell feel to him, Quint. He's really big and long, and when he comes down the field in transition, he shoots it really hard. And he you know he he's still at the point where he likes playing offense a little bit more than he likes playing defense. But we're working on that. Uh, we're working. Yeah, that, that there's so many of those LSMs, and and and. A lot of the media flashed to those players, and, I, and as a goalie, I was always like, "That guy wants no part of playing defense." You know, like, don't I don't even consider him a defender. He, he yeah, he's LSM by name only, but it's really an offensive midi. Yeah, I mean, they watch. They, listen, they watch guys like Scott Ratliff and CJ Costabile, and and they forget that those guys do play defense. Like they they just watch again. They just watch the highlights of those. Yes, guys. yes. They watch them scoring goals and the flash and gravitate to. But you know, Ratliff and Costa, they wouldn't have played as long as they have. If they didn't play some defense. So, um, he he could be very good. I mean, he has the body of. Um, he's got the stick of like I said. He reminds me. You and I are a little older, so a lot of these young viewers don't know who Steve Mitchell was. But man, was he great! Um, but Mitchell has the body of a. Um, uh, Earhart, right? So he's got yeah, this yeah. four and a half, two hundred and ten pound frame as a freshman, and he's got a range, range, incredible range. Yeah, the length. You know, we we were better on man down uh, the first day because of the length that we have. You know, um, so uh, all four of our um, short stick teammates from last year are back. Um, we have a freshman. Um, I don't know if you know if you remember Coach Finnell. I'm sure you know Coach Finnell from yeah. Yeah, done, Stevie. Uh, another, actually, another Thorpe Award winner uh, is a freshman for us. I think he's going to be terrific. He's just, he's an incredible athlete. He's got great intensity. Um, you know, first bench test. He's a freshman. He benches three hundred fifty pounds. I don't I don't know if I've ever seen a freshman bench three fifty. Um, so no, we were we were lucky. Like back in the day, two twenty five for a freshman was lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we had guys who couldn't do one eighty. Well, there's still them running around, you know, um, <laughs> but uh, so I, I think we, we're, listen, we're an older team, you know, between the 2020 graduating class, which is Brennan's class and the 2019 high school graduating class, which is Brower's class, you know, there's 23, 24 kids there, you know, this is the last COVID year, you know, this a lot is of mouths to feed. a lot of mouths to feed logistic for practice must be very, really challenging as well. You guys have the space though. And, and from what I've seen, you guys do it better than almost any team in the country. Got multiple fields going simultaneously. Just less sitting around. I go yeah, to some practices, coach. I got to tell you, it, it, these practice. If you're trying to practice on one field with sixty guys, there, there, there is the lack of reps, the lack of action, the lack of 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 uh, participation that is just so apparent. Coach Stanowski does not like the standing around piece. I mean, we have we have fifty, I think fifty two guys, and six of them are goalies, and we have. Uh, Three face-off guys, but the face-off guys are, are expected to do everything all the middies do. And in the fall, the middies play offense and defense. So there's a lot, you know, there's a lot there. So they may play, they may play offense Monday and Wednesday and defense Tuesday and Thursday, and then we scrimmage on Friday or something like that. Um, coach likes the guys to play both ways. Um, so it, it, practice for us, you know, you get a couple of guys injured, and next thing you know, you're you, you know, you're in that 40 range, you know. So everything um is is fine. I, I I just think this is the last year 
well, I think it is. It should probably be the last year of five, you know, teams playing with five classes. Yeah. You know, so like this is a traditionally, if you, you know, if you ask me if this is a good Duke team compared to, you know, the 2012 and 2013, I would say yes. But comparatively speaking, that those were four class teams. This is a five class era, you know, uh, well, Carolina has grad students, you know, Syracuse has grad students, you know, Virginia, Maryland, everybody, everybody has five years of players. So it's a different era of lacrosse a little bit. Wrap things up, Coach. Uh, I was I was happy and sad to see Mike Elko head off to Texas A&M. Uh, I know for him professionally, I mean, that that sets him up for life. Uh, good man, but he did really nice things at Duke. I'm finishing up. I, I mentioned that because I've got Penn State in the Peach Bowl. And Manny Diaz now is is the head coach of uh, of Duke football, a, a guy I have a lot of respect for. Uh, I'm heading to L.A. this weekend, Coach. You'll never believe this. I'm appearing in a movie playing myself. Uh, it's a, it's a, wrestling, a wrestling movie. Yeah, Jennifer Lopez is in it. Don Cheadle, Ben Affleck is the producer. So I'm going out to L.A. for a day to record three scenes uh, in Hollywood. Terrific. Congratulations. Yeah. And, th and then I got the Peach Bowl and then I'm doing the Rose Bowl, doing the Rose Bowl on radio. So uh, I'll get get to go out to uh, Pasadena for that. Uh, in terms of your schedule, uh, you got a little time off now, family time, kids in town, and then you'll you'll crank things back up uh, early January. Yeah, uh, the guys come back, you know, maybe around sixth or seventh or eighth. We don't get rolling until maybe the the thirteenth, uh, fourteenth. Um, they come back and you know hit the weight room a little bit, hit hit the track a little bit, uh, and then we get rolling as a team. Um, Coach, yeah, Coach Elko was great. He really was. He brought energy. Um, he did some things that we hadn't seen around here. Um, he he actually, I don't know if I told you this. I think I told you. Yeah, I, I got crossover with him from something on Long Island or, or in Jersey. He, he got, coached at Hofstra. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. so I know him from his time at Hofstra, and then he was at uh, Bowling Green, and I caught a bowl game of his early on in his career there. Yeah, he – Um. so the first thing he did was every freshman, when they – when they got their key to their dorm, they got a jersey with their name on the back, a Duke football jersey with their name on the back and the graduation year on the front. So he engaged the freshman class immediately. And the tailgates were coming back. Duke was always, always had really good tailgates, even when they weren't, you know, uh, a great team. Like when Matt Danowski played here, the tailgating, Kevin Cassis, when he was here, the tailgating was legendary. Um, and it was starting to come back. And I, um, he he just they were in every game you know yeah. he, he was a good recruiter and from what i understand i don't know uh coach diaz but I, from what i understand he's a great recruiter and a, and a, a player's coach and so i'm excited to get to know him but i i'm i'm hoping they can build on this it's been fun it, it's it certainly helps recruiting having kids come to a football game and have a great time absolutely completes the makes your year more enjoyable as a student athlete and, and creates a vibe on campus, creates an energy on campus. Yeah. I mean, success, is, day here, success was, is success is good for everybody, right? No doubt. Like when game day was here, our whole team was there at like five 45 in the morning, the whole team to get right in the front. So, I mean, you know, like that's, that's great for a college kid. I mean, how many times does game day come to your school? You know, it's the first time ever at Duke. So it was an exciting, exciting piece for them. Ronnie, happy holidays. Appreciate you too. your time hey. this morning. Best, enjoy. best, to, best to you and the family. Enjoy the California. That's going to be great. Say hello to JLo for me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Coach. Take care. That's it for this week's episode 
of the Quintessential Podcast. Thank you to our guests. Thanks to our technical director, Dr. Nick Z. I want to thank you for listening. And of course, thanks to our sponsor, Axia Time. A watch, what a better gift than a ring. I've got a championship ring. It's collecting dust in a box. I wear watches all the time. Thank you, Axia Time. It's axiatime.com. And we'll see you next week.